Want to make an extra thousand bucks in the next 30 days? Start freelancing. Here's how to figure out what service you could offer and how to connect with clients who will pay you. What's up? What's up, Nick? Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because your day job is just your biggest client right now. If you're looking to make extra money, there's no doubt that starting a service business is one of the fastest ways to do that with almost no barrier to entry and minimal startup costs. In fact, it was a service business, a house painting business in my case, that was one of my first entrepreneurial adventures. And in this call, you're going to learn how to figure out what service or services you could offer on a freelance or contract basis, even if you don't think you have any skills today, and importantly, how to connect with potential paying clients who need help in those areas. To help me walk through this stuff is Abby Ashley from thevirtualsavvy.com, who you might remember from an episode we did last year. Abby started her virtual assistant business, her freelance business, while she was on maternity leave. And by the time her leave was up, just a few months, she'd booked enough work not to have to go back to that job she hated. She ultimately scaled that service business from just herself at 20 to 30 bucks an hour to her own little virtual agency to $75 an hour and up for some specialized work. And before long, the questions started coming in. How can I do what you do? I would love to be able to work from home, set my own hours, do work I enjoy. So like any good entrepreneur, Abby turned around and started teaching her methods. At this point, she's helped thousands of people start their own freelance business, which is awesome. In fact, if you hit up the virtualsavvy.com slash SHN, she's put together an action-packed free training called How to Become a Booked Out Virtual Assistant, which again is just a secret code for remote freelancing. But stick around in this episode to hear how you can get started with this side hustle literally today from uncovering service ideas to finding customers and uh, hopefully won't involve you having to go cold calling door to door like I did in my house painting days. Notes and links for this episode along with the full text summary are at sidehustlenation.com slash abby2, A-B-B-E-Y, and the number two. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this call with Abby after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. When I started my virtual assistant business, I literally had found out like the day before what a virtual assistant was. This was back in 2013. So I didn't come in with a ton of skills necessarily, but I started looking at what can I do that other business owners need. And so there's so much that people want to outsource. We always think it's going to be these high level skills, these things that they don't know how to do. But usually the very first thing that business owners start to outsource are the things that are kind of mundane, but they just need to get off their plate so they have time to do other things, right? So answering customer service emails, if you can do really simple social media. So I'm talking like not trying to grow these massive audiences, but even just keeping up with maybe posting on Instagram, posting on their Facebook page, writing blogs, things like that. Those are some of the very first things that I started doing. Even as simple as, you know, appointment setting phone calls. I had an insurance agent who I would call some of his current clients and just set up future appointments with them. So I think there's a lot that we can do just with the skills that we already have that sometimes we don't think, oh, somebody would actually pay me for that, but they will. Right. And this can be either skills that you have from your own resume, any any job you've ever had. Somebody thought that was a skill worth paying for, right? Or it could be skills you've learned 
outside of work. It could be stuff that you're just interested in, hobbies that you picked up, and some of the stuff, maybe you've never done it before, but you're like, I'm pretty sure I can figure that out. And that's <laughs> the nature of the game as an entrepreneur. I guess I've been on both sides of this equation. I've been a freelancer and I've been somebody who hired freelancers. Today in the business, I've got somebody that manages Pinterest for me. I've got a podcast editing service. I've got a handful of writers that I work with. Those are all independent contractors who have kind of followed this path of becoming a virtual assistant, call it, or becoming, and sometimes it's an agency, but starting their own kind of location independent side hustle because nobody is working from my closet office. It would get a little crowded in here. I know on your site, you've got like 101 services you could offer as a virtual assistant to kind of get the creative juices flowing. And that's at thevirtualsavvy.com. Any other exercises that you put people through to kind of come up with these initial ideas? Yeah, definitely. So what I like to do is to look at the skills first that you know you already have. And it's okay if you only list two or three things, right? Just things that you know, okay, I could answer customer service emails, things like that. Then maybe list skills. So I basically have people divide up a piece of paper into three different categories. The first are skills that you have that you enjoy doing. Then the next is skills that you have that you don't enjoy doing. Because I really think it's good to identify those two. If you're going to go into starting to help people, but you are only helping them with things that you don't enjoy doing, you're not going to make it very far. So go ahead and put those out there as well. And then the third list, I think, is maybe one of the most important. And it is the things that I don't know how to do, but I'm really interested in, or I'm interested in learning. And that could be where possibly things like podcast management or YouTube management or Pinterest management, you know, hey, I don't know how to do this. I don't know the skill or the tech behind it all. However, I'm drawn to it for some reason. Maybe you are just really good at designing things. And so you think, well, that's part of Pinterest management, right? Is is making these little pinnable images that look good. So maybe that's something I could do. Or you think, hey, podcast editing. I listen to a lot of podcasts. So hey, why not? I could edit them too. And so maybe you don't know what the tech or the skill is behind it. But if you have an interest in it, it can go on your list of things that you could learn in order to offer as a service. Yeah, I can figure this stuff out. That was Matt Rowell. He was, you know, doing the knife sharpening thing. He's like, I don't know how to do this yet, but I could figure it out. Learned how to do it on YouTube and found some buddies' knives who were willing enough to let him practice. And then it was off to the races for him. The first role that I hired for was for an AdWords manager. Basically, like, here's my pay-per-click campaigns. I need your help in keeping these up to date, you know, making sure we're not pointing to, in my case, shoes that were out of stock or that only had like a size seven and a size 14 left, like that wasn't going to be a great user experience. That ad wasn't likely to convert. And I provided all the training for that. So it was like, I don't necessarily need you to know how to do this stuff coming in, but I can train you how to do this. You know, follow this recipe, follow this step-by-step process. In your client business, did you find that it was similar? Like, okay, I'm going to raise my hand and say that I'm kind of this general virtual assistant for hire did you find that people had processes that they already kind of had in mind? They just wanted to plug you into or were they looking for off the shelf? This is what I need you to do. Totally exactly what you said. That was my experience time and time again. I would, I really like the idea of starting as a general virtual assistant, unless if you already have a specialized skill. So if you already know how to do podcast management, by all means, go and call yourself a podcast manager and let that be your top skill that you can scale, right? 
However, if you don't, make a big list of things that you can do because what's likely to happen is exactly what you said. Someone will hire you to just kind of be a general VA, but when you go into your their business, a lot of times, whether it's a good system or not, they already have some sort of system. They have a way that they've been doing this all along. And again, it might not be the best system, but sometimes it is, and they can just train you on the system that they already have in place and then you can continue to maybe improve it. So I found that a lot of times it was, hey, I just need you to pick up on this thing that I've already been doing and maybe increase it, maybe make it a little bit better of a system, but just continue on with what I've already been doing so I can have more time. That's really your goal at the end of the day is to free up some of the time that they have so they can go on and do higher level items. Absolutely. One of the ways that I kind of recommend coming up with service ideas is actually looking at Upwork, looking at Fiverr, looking at these big freelance marketplaces and looking at their different categories. So if you look at the top navigation menu on Upwork, and of course, user interfaces subject to change, but there's like this whole broad categories of what different services could be offered. And underneath there, if you click on any one of them, it like opens up this page of subcategories and you're going to find yourself seeing like, well, shoot, I could do that. I could do that. You, you kind of build a, your list that way. And the same thing on Fiverr. And what's interesting about Fiverr is you can click through on each of those categories and subcategories and see specific gigs that people are offering. Like I will do X for this dollar amount and different pricing packages. It's really interesting to see what other services are out there and say, well, shoot, I could do that. Not Not necessarily that I want to compete on Fiverr or on Upwork, but like using that as a as source of inspiration. Now, going back to your three categories, it was column one, skills you enjoy. Column two, skills you don't enjoy, which I think is really important. It's like, okay, I can do this, but the last thing I need is a second job, a side hustle that I hate. And third, the skills that you don't know how to do just yet, but you're interested in. And that kind of aligns with a similar format or structure that I've used in the past. I called it the intersection method, which was column one, skills that you know how to do. Column two was interests or hobbies outside of work. And column three was kind of your network. Like, who do you know? And that's kind of transitioning into how are you going to connect with clients? For me, one of the freelancing businesses that I had was in nonfiction book editing. And so column one was like, I had written a couple nonfiction books myself at that point. I was a decent English student in college or in high school. I don't even know if I took English in college. And even though I can barely form a sentence on the podcast, like I consider myself a decent writer and a decent proofreader, eye for detail type of thing. And then in column two, was I enjoyed reading self-improvement business books anyways. So that was an interesting one. And then column three was like, because I had self-published, I was already embedded in these certain Facebook groups for different authors. And so that was kind of like a freelance business that came as a result, kind of like the intersection of those three different columns. And you can kind of mix and match and you might have more than one idea that comes from there. But maybe we transition to this point about connecting with customers. I know when we first talked on the podcast last year, it was not anything online. It's like, even though the business is going to be location independent, the business is going to be online. It was just going to local in-person networking events and connecting with clients that way. Yep. So I think there are, oh my goodness, there are so many ways 
the the need for virtual assistants, the need for just outsourcing, especially people to outsource to remotely, I think is just going to continue to increase. So this is definitely still the time. I think it's a good time when you see that, okay, I have a group of 30,000 virtual assistants. This thing is obviously starting to catch on. But at the same time, we're still at the point where you can say, hey, I'm a virtual assistant. And someone will say, what's that? Like they've never heard of it. I feel like that's like the perfect intersection of the time to jump on something when it's going to catch on, but not, a, not everyone has caught on. Yeah, we'll plug the Facebook group for a minute. It's the Virtual Savvies. So facebook.com slash groups slash VA Savvies. Again, 30,000 people in there, a cool supportive community that you built. Yes, totally. There's tons of people you can connect with there. We post job opportunities every day inside of that group. So that's actually one really awesome way to find clients. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much o- almost every single day we're posting a few jobs inside of that group. So just by being uh, in that free group alone, you can be ex- exposed to remote job opportunities. It's totally free. We post them there for the people who come to us and say, hey, where do I find a virtual assistant? We've got, well, we've got plenty of them for you. And if, you, if you're on that side of the equation, you can can hit up the virtualsavvy.com slash hire and kind of fill out the form there. And I imagine those are the requests or those are the inquiries that end up in the Facebook group. Exactly. Yes. We've talked a little bit on the previous podcast about looking at just your local network. And I still, I'll say this first, if there's people that you know, most of us know one small business owner, talk to them first. The people, the relationships that you've already formed Those are going to be the best people to at least let them know about your business. Even if they're not ready to hire you, they very well probably have other small business owner friends. They have a network if they're a small business owner. So just let people know what you're doing because that's one of the best ways to just get kind of that word of mouth marketing started. We have people all the time that will, you know, one of my very first projects inside of the course that I teach is to reach out to friends and family. Even if they're not small business owners, just let people know what you're doing, right? And people will say, oh, I did this and nothing really happened. But then two months down the line, they get one of their biggest clients because their aunt Sue was at the grocery store and ended up talking to somebody, right? I think that it's it's something good to put in place just because it really could come back later and help out your business. And and it just kind of gets us in the practice of telling people, right? A lot of times I think we're just scared to tell people what we're doing because we're like, well, I haven't got a client yet. I, I, I'm not really making money from this yet. Should I even tell people? What if it flops? But just just start telling people what you're doing because that word of mouth really will find its way back around. And that goes into a lot of the local networking meetings, right? Like go to those local meetups, go to your local cha- chamber of commerce, things like that. Just be in the networks with small business owners. But I think that that can transfer online too. And so a lot of times those networks where people are hanging out are on Facebook groups or they are in LinkedIn groups. And so I think that spending time and building genuine relationships in those kind of platforms can be really good as well. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. 
Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's talk about a couple of these things. So talking to business owners, I think you're right. Everybody knows probably at least somebody who's in the entrepreneurial space in one form or another. How do you frame that conversation in a way that's not immediately pitchy? Right. I think it does depend a little bit on your level of the relationship. So if this is a friend, they're just going to be excited that you're finally starting a business, right? Sure, sure. They're like, well, welcome to the dark side. Exactly. (laughs) Entrepreneurs like want more entrepreneur friends and they get really excited when their friends start businesses. So I think that depending on the level of the relationship, you can just let them know, hey, I'm finally doing it. I'm finally starting a business. And it can be as informal as that. And you don't necessarily even have to ask them to be your client right up front. I don't think that that's always needed. One of the really great things is that when you start to talk about outsourcing and taking things off people's plates, most business owners are automatically like, oh man, I need that. Like it's one of the easiest sells ever (laughs) because you're not just trying to like, here's this thing that this big package that I have, that's, that's maybe something you would want to do someday. Most people are like, get rid of some of these little tasks off my plate, that's exactly what I need. So a lot of times it does sell itself. So definitely if that's if that's the type of relationship that you already have, just go at it like that. If this is more of an acquaintance or just somebody that you've met one time, I think it's okay to set it up as something that's a little more formal, maybe just ask to take them out to coffee and again, engage in just a conversation of, hey, here's the business that I've started. I thought of you because compliment their business, talk to them about why you enjoy 
their business, their product, whatever. And then just, Hey, it's just something to keep in mind. I, again, I'm, I'm not a pushy salesperson and maybe some people are more aggressive in their sales than I am. I'm a really big fan of forming relationships. So taking somebody out to coffee, sending them a letter in the mail, doing an email and just asking them, Hey, how's your business going? That's definitely more my style when it comes to sales And it has worked in the past, at least for me, for my students, just really building genuine relationships. People know what you do. They'll know what your services are through that. And when the time is right, they'll hire you. Yeah. And even through these in-person networking events or through these conversations, you can frame it as somebody who's curious, like in your business, what are the biggest pain points right now? Both John Logar and Dane Maxwell from the foundation on the podcast shared this whole kind of idea extraction process. And they they were ultimately looking to solve those problems with software, but like, hey, you could solve the problem with your own service in, in the near term. If you had a magic wand, what what would this look like? You know, what what are you spending the most time on today? John shared the story of like, you know, hey, I'm calling you up because you're a leader in the industry. If you have five minutes, I want to get your take on the biggest problems facing your industry or so, you know, with some framework like that. And I thought that was an interesting way to go about it, just to get somebody talking. And, you know, if they can open up and say, well, you know, hey, either I might be able to help you out myself, or I might be able to, you know, point you in the right direction, or just might be, hey, that's interesting. That's some inside knowledge. And then to the point about letting people know what you're doing, not, I think the big distinction to make here is not necessarily selling to your own network. I mean, if you get clients that way, fantastic, but really tapping into your network's network, because it starts with this one-to-one thing. And I've totally been there, like not wanting to tell anybody about my business. Cause it's like, well, who are you to start talking about that? Or who are you to do that? And it's a really vulnerable thing, but it starts one-to-one. And that was what I did when I launched the podcast. And I'm so like the first 50 episodes are embarrassing, but it's like, that's what I did to kind of get the initial traction, direct email outreach, going through Gmail, opening up a compose window, typing a letter and like seeing what would auto populate. <laughs> like what would be, what would, what would Google suggest if I typed in like a, 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 like, oh, I haven't emailed Aaron in a while. Hey, what's going on, Aaron? I just started this thing. Any other ideas on the client side or any other students who are having success in other ways? There's one other thing that I really enjoy too, and that would be something that I call high-end client targeting. I'm a really big fan of this because it, well, it landed me my biggest client back when I was a VA. And it's basically when you identify somebody that you would really love to work for. So it's not always, sometimes this can happen if you already have chosen what your skills are going to be, what your services are going to be. Or maybe you're just starting out and you're like, man, I I don't really care what I do for this person. I just really want to work for them. And I think that that's where a lot of my clients will start as well, is that they will find just a person and they'll just start paying attention, right? This So much of this business has to do with listening. Just like you were talking about, you start to talk to somebody, you're not just selling them on their services, you get them to talk about their pain points. What is that? That's listening. People love to talk about themselves. So just listen and pay attention and those opportunities will be there. And I find that that's the same when it comes to high-end client targeting. So you're listening to somebody's podcast or you're watching YouTube videos or you're reading through blog posts. It's amazing how people will just kind of bring up 
holes in their business. Most entrepreneurs are fairly transparent that I've seen, and they're not they're not afraid to talk about the things that maybe aren't going so well. And so I've been listening to podcasts before where somebody will say, oh yeah, and our we've tried Facebook ads 20 times and they just never work for us, right? And that should be a light bulb in your head. Hey, if that's a service I offer, maybe I could present myself valuable somehow. They're talking about all these forms of traffic, but they haven't mentioned Pinterest at all. And you think, well, I could do Pinterest management for them. So that's that's one part of it, right? Is kind of identifying the person, identifying the need, and then making yourself known to them again in a way that's not spammy, not just like, here's my website, hire me, please, because nobody really loves those emails. But if you can just show up in a way in their inbox, on their Instagram or Facebook, where, wherever you're connecting with them, if you can show up in a way that really provides true value, again, without necessarily maybe asking for a lot in return. So let's say you do Pinterest management, right? And you notice this person who I know that they're successful, they could probably pay me really well. They have literally no presence on Pinterest at all. Well, one, you could just send them your website and say, hey, here's what I do. You could send them some pins that you've done for other people and say, here's some examples that I've done for other people. And those things might work. Or you could really take the time to do something custom for them. So go through their past five blog posts and create a pinnable image just for them, custom, and say, hey, I noticed that you don't have much of a presence on Pinterest. I went ahead and created these five images just for you that you can use. I offer Pinterest management services if you're ever interested, but I just wanted to give, go ahead and pass these on, use them at your disposal. And that value first, you're kind of just giving something. You've created the time to show that you're the type of person that goes above and beyond. You're not just asking for something. You're truly looking to give them something. I've seen this work really, really well. And again, it doesn't always turn into a job, but it does turn into a relationship usually. It puts you in their mind. So maybe they are not looking for a Pinterest manager, but you better believe if their friend is looking for one, another business owner, they'll say, oh, I actually know someone who emailed me just the other day, right? So this is another really cool strategy that I've used. It was one of my biggest clients I got using this exact strategy. And it's one of my favorite to implement because it's fun. It's fun to reach out to the people that we really admire. Very cool. I like that. High-end client targeting, kind of like the Dream 100 list from Chet Holmes, Ultimate Sales Machine, Ultimate Selling Machine, something like that. Great book on how to get in front of, you know, your dream clients. It sounds similar to Brian Harris when he was starting out online with doing videos for some of his favorite blogs. Like, hey, I'm a huge fan. Love, love your work. Just created this as a gift. And then, by the way, if you want to do this on an ongoing basis, this is something that I can do. It's a, a good way to break through the clutter with that give first mentality. Tell me about walking into this networking networking event, introducing yourself, say, hey, I'm a virtual assistant, even though you don't have any clients yet. First of all, maybe what gave you confidence to say that? And then this is a two-part question. Second part, what did you do when somebody said, yeah, I need help? When I started my business, I was super pregnant <laughs> like really, really pregnant. And so I I had a lot of drive underneath me. I hated my job so much that I was at. I actually had one of my old bosses reach out to me the other day and she's like, you always talk about how much you hated your job. I'm like, I didn't hate you. Don't be personally offended, but it still stands true. I hated my job and we all knew it. Come on. No one was surprised when that started coming out. But 
I really had this drive that I was not going to go back to work. Like I just, after my maternity leave, I was like, this is it. I've got to make something happen. And I had tried so many different entrepreneurial endeavors before. I had sold jeans online. I had sold textbooks. I started making like freezer meals in people's kitchens. At one point I bought the website celebrityplank.com. Remember like when planking was cool? Somehow I thought like, I'm going to get celebrities to plank and put it on my website. And somehow that'll make my, I mean, I tried a lot of different things. (laughs) No celebrities ever planked on my site, but it was kind of like what was different. Honestly, I probably could have made any of those work except for the last one. I probably could have made any idea work, but I just had a real fire underneath me this time. I'm not going to go back to work. Like it's kind of like end of the road. This is, this is happening. Yeah. You've got this ticking time bomb growing in your belly. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah. So when I showed up, I just said, Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I do. And of course the next natural response was, Oh, what's a virtual assistant. And as soon as I told them, people would ask for my card or, or, or whatever. It would kind of go from there. The in-person networking events worked really well for me because it's really just natural. Like you're there to talk about your business. Other people are there to talk about their businesses. So it wasn't as, I don't know, I, I felt like that was a pretty easy thing. I would just say, oh, my name's Abby. They'd tell me their name. What do you do? And then they'd say, what do you do? And, and it just it just flows really easy, right? So that's why I, I really loved those networking events. And that that's kind of the fire that I had underneath me as well to, to keep me going. Was that just a random thing that you happened upon on Meetup or something like that? Yeah. So I just looked, so I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time. I'll, I will say that. So there were a lot of events. I literally, every single day, I could just say networking event, Washington, D.C., And I would probably get a list of 10 different ones on Meetup or showing up on Google. Like there were just Meetups all the time. It's a little more challenging now that I live in like Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) But still, if I go to meetup.com or if I just type in entrepreneurial event, business event, small business networking, things like that, and the name of my city, then they may be a couple weeks out, but they're still relatively easy to find even in a smaller town. So yeah, that's kind of how I went about it. So what happened when the person on the other end of the business card exchange says, yeah, I could I could use some help with that, actually. The very first time it happened, I had this mix of emotion of yes and oh, crap, which is probably all of us. Whenever we get like that first sale, somebody's actually going to pay me money to do something. So for me, I had kind of in the back of my head, I don't know if I had it necessarily written down, but I so at the time I was like, great, I'm going to send you a proposal. At that point, I didn't know what a proposal really meant or what it looked like, but I just went home and kind of Googled it all (laughs) and said, what do I send them now? And so I ended up coming up with a contract, coming up with a way to invoice them and just said, hey, here are some different packages of hours, which is the way that I generally sold my services is that, hey, you can buy a package of 10, 20, or 40 hours to use every single month. That's the way that I pitched it. I think the very first client that I had She was actually having me, she had a box of business cards and she just wanted me to put all of those into a spreadsheet, which I definitely think there's software out there that you can do that with, but I just did it manually for her. And so she just said, I I think she said, I'll pay you 150 bucks to do this whole whole box. And I was like, yes, whatever. It was my first paid client and I got it out of the way and, and then we were good. So that's kind of the way we went about that one. But then from there on out, I kind of decided, okay, I'm gonna do these packages of hours 
And so I would just send them an email that had all of that information and kind of go from there. And I would change my processes as I went along. At first, I, I said, oh, I'll do appointment setting phone calls or I'll, I'll do be on the phone all the time. And then I really quickly realized with a newborn, that was a terrible idea to be on the phone. <laughs> so I took that service away and I didn't meet with clients over the phone anymore, things like that. I think you, you start to change things over time, but that's at least how I started out. I think everything's a draft one, right? I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know how to invoice. I didn't know how to package my services, but I said, I'm just going to do it this way for now and, and let it be a draft one. And then over time, I came up with better drafts. Yeah, absolutely. This, that was your number one tip from our show last year, ship before it's perfect. That applies to so many different businesses. I was going to ask about the pricing and package setup. So how did you determine, first of all, the rate? And then, well, I guess we'll start there. Like, How did you come up with the pricing rate for your service? So I had looked at what other virtual assistants were doing. <laughs> I think that that's a good sign that your service is, will sell. Is It's not the only sign, but a good sign that your service will sell is if other people are doing it, right? So I just looked up to see what other people, what their packages were structured like and thought, okay, for me, I worked backwards a little bit. I knew I had a full-time income to replace. And so I thought, okay, I can work about 20 hours a week was what I was hoping I'd be able to do at least. That's very optimistic with a newborn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I could work about 20 hours a week. So if I charge this hourly rate, then this would get pretty close to replacing my income. It helped that my job paid very little on top of being terrible. So that's kind of how I went about it and came up with just what's my hourly rate times these package hours. And so for me, I think I started at about $30 an hour which was pretty in line with what I was seeing other general virtual assistants charging. Some charge way less, but I, I had looked into, okay, I know I'm going to have to pay this much in taxes and all of that. And that's what seemed worth it to me. So even still, I recommend general virtual assistants not go below $20 an hour if they're doing an hourly rate to start out with, just because after paying taxes and and office equipment and things like that, you still want to make sure that you're making more than minimum wage. So, Yeah, absolutely. Oh, those quarterly taxes, they get you every time. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Did you do anything like officially, like did you register the business with the Secretary of State or anything like that? Or you said, no, I'm just a sole proprietor open for business. I just went the sole proprietor route. I didn't, I didn't form an LLC or anything like that starting out. Once I started training other people, I realized, oh, there's more regulations 
in certain states. And so that's a big part of my course is figuring out what are the regulations in your state. So in Washington, D.C., you don't have to form an LLC or anything like that. You basically just have to get this like $30 home occupancy permit. And that's about it. At least that's what it was at the time. So there wasn't very much that I needed to do. Okay. I, yeah, I had to get the same thing for Livermore. It was like permission to run a business in your house. I was like, oh, okay, come on. What do you what do you care what I do at my house? But okay, but that but that was it. No website at the beginning, no legal entity at the beginning, just a handful of business cards and off to the races. Yep. As one of the things I love most about virtual assistants is that it is it's a really low entry point, right? You don't have to have a website. You don't have to necessarily have the LLC unless if your state requires it. You don't have to have this huge structure. You don't have to have a huge audience, which I think is really big too. I'm now a course creator and I sell I sell this online course. And the way I do that is by building a big audience, which means I have a big email list, which means that I have to pay for all these extra tools and all this stuff. And I love it. I'm glad that I'm doing it. But it's it's really awesome. Something like any service-based business, virtual assistants or graphic design or website design, whatever it is, there's very little that you have to do because your client acquisition is one-to-one, right? You only need a few clients to really replace your income. You don't, you don't need a huge website or a lot of traffic coming to it and things like that. It's one of the reasons I just love the service industry so much, especially whether people want to do that to replace their full-time income or a lot of times people will do it while they're building something else, right? Somebody's started a blog and they eventually want to make a lot of affiliate income from it, but it's going to maybe take some time or it's going to take traffic or it's going to take paid ads or whatever. But the service industry, it's just, it's one-to-one, right? You could sign one big client and that could be 3000 a month and replace your income. I, I just love it. Yeah. And a lot of times, yeah, you can learn these skills and practice these skills on somebody else's dime in a lot of ways, and then turn around and and do it to grow your own thing. If you so desire, that's one expansion opportunity. I know you've talked about raising your rates. I know you've talked about adding subcontractors or team members under you. I know you've talked about creating kind of a productized package where, you know, for X dollars a month, I'll do this on a consistent basis for you. What do you see as the leveling up game in the remote freelancing in the virtual assistant space for people who are like, yeah, but it's still trading time for money. It is trading time for money. But for a lot of us, it's trading time for money while you're sitting on your couch or not doing that two hour commute. So a lot of times it's like, okay, how do I how do I level up just where I'm at in life right now? How could this get a little bit better? Because we'd all love to have that like passive income stream that's making us a million dollars a year while we sit on the beach. But a lot of times there's steps to get there. (laughs) So I do think that starting out with the trading dollars for hours, that is the way that most of us honestly probably need to start just so we get our head in the game. We know what this really takes. We know how long things take us. But then eventually, like you said, those examples, most of my students end up forming kind of a little mini agency. That's the direction that most of their businesses have gone, where they offer a couple of high-end services And then they have three or four people working under them to fulfill most of those services. So you turn into more of like a project manager than the person actually doing the work yourself. So that's how most of my clients evolve. Most of my students evolve their services is by forming those little really niche specific mini agencies in a sense. How many people did you have underneath you at your peak I grew to four. So I didn't have this massive 20 person 
agency. I worked really well with a team of four people. It replaced. I mean, that's still a lot, that's a lot of people to manage. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, they were all very like part-time contractors, but it worked, it worked really well for me. Most of them, honestly, this is another little like nugget I'll put out there because I found that when people are ready to start subcontracting, what they'll do a lot of times is go and like find other virtual assistants to work underneath them. Right. So like, okay, how do I find another VA to be my subcontract VA? But the best contractors that I found actually weren't virtual assistants at all, had no intentions of doing their own business. They were just like my other mom friends or college students or people that had good work ethic, but didn't necessarily want to start their own business. Because the problem with hiring other virtual assistants to be your subcontractors is that the really good ones will eventually get all their own clients and won't subcontract for you anymore. Yeah, I remember it was Kai Davis, like way back in the archives, he said, you know, are you selling your time or are you selling results? So it's like this tricky balance to be in between selling yourself as the expert, like, look, I know how to do this service better than anybody else. I'm going to get it done. And then trying to transition to be like, well, so I'm actually not going to be doing it anymore. I'm going to have this person on my team who I trained, you know, they're going to do it just as well or better than me. That's the, the balance to to strike with clients and in that conversation on the agency agency side. The Virtual Savvies Facebook group, again, facebook.com slash groups slash VA Savvies, a very large and growing supportive community of other people doing the remote freelancing thing. If you hit the virtualsavvy.com slash SHN for Side Hustle Nation, there is a free training that Abby has put together for Side Hustle Nation on how to become a booked out virtual assistant kind of expanding on what we talked about here and some more ninja ways to try and find some customers for your new service business. Abby, thanks again for joining me. Always enlightening stuff. And I agree with you. Service is one of the fastest side hustles to get off the ground. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Give yourself some grace. <laughs> I think that a lot of us start our business or maybe we've started a lot of businesses in the past and we just kind of beat ourselves up that they didn't go well or that maybe we took the wrong step, we made a bad investment, whatever. This whole thing that we're doing, this whole game called life, is all just a process of us taking a step and then pivoting, taking a step and then pivoting. So don't be afraid to pivot. Don't be afraid if something hasn't worked in the past. Give yourself grace and keep moving forward. I like that one. Give yourself some grace. We've all had some failures, some missteps. I've had my versions of the celebrity planking website. So don't feel bad about that stuff at all. It's just, okay, time to pivot, time to move on to the next thing, dust yourself off. I really like it. Abby, thanks again for joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Abby. Number one is to go general first, niche later. This was surprising to hear because it's counter to the advice that's normally given by myself included. But Abby's argument made a lot of sense, I thought, especially for just starting out. And that was to go broad, to be open to the direction the client wants to go and to kind of let them steer the role that you're in. And in that process, you'll begin to figure out what work you enjoy, what work you're great at, the stuff you can do quickly. And on the flip side, figure out the stuff that isn't so fun, the stuff that is not so great to do. When I was doing my freelance book editing, I started out by saying, I'll edit your 
nonfiction book. But as I got into it, which was already semi-niche, right? I was like, I don't want to read vampire romance. But as I got into it, I ended up niching down to just business and self-development books because that's what I found myself enjoying the most. And that's where I felt like I could most constructively support the author. But it was the experience in going slightly broader at first that helped me learn that, that helped me define that. So general service offerings first, niche later. That made my top three takeaways just because it was different from what you normally hear and goes to show, of course, that there's no one right way to start a business. Takeaway number two is that service ideas are everywhere and you have skills that are worth something. The vast majority of work that's getting done in the world today is not brain surgery. And that's not to say that specialized skills aren't valued, but for the purposes of a flexible freelance side hustle, I'm confident that you can get started. Like we talked about half the time, the client is going to provide training. And at that point, it's more a question of personality fit, being top of mind, and being open to learning new things. Now, one thing that didn't come up in this episode, but often comes up in my conversations with would-be freelancers, is the objection that there are people in other parts of the world who do the same thing for a fraction of the price. How can I compete with that? The simple answer is don't. There's always going to be people willing to do the work for less. The customers you're targeting aren't the customers that are hiring those people. And that brings me to takeaway number three, clients are everywhere. This industry, the the practice of remote hiring is booming. And it makes sense for so many reasons, like access to a global pool of talent, the flexibility, the overhead and infrastructure savings. I'm a fan. And not just because I work from my living room in my son's bedroom closet, where it just wouldn't be feasible to have a team join me in my house. But clients are everywhere and the pie is only going to grow. I know I can't be the only business owner who doesn't care where my team is based, where they went to school, if they went to school. It just matters if they're fit and they do great work. In fact, I'm just realizing this over the last 10 years, I've probably worked with people from six different continents, a lean, mean, global operation. And that's pretty cool to think about. No, uh, no Antarctica teammates just yet though. More and more business owners, I think, are coming on board with this uh, remote work idea. So on top of that, there are some projections that say half the workforce is going to be freelancers over the next eight to 10 years. So why not get some practice now? We talked about several different ways to get in front of clients in this episode. And I know Abby's got even more in her free training at thevirtualsavvy.com slash SHN, which is again about how to become a booked out virtual assistant. Once again, you'll find the full text summary with all of Abby's top tips from this call at sidehustlenation.com slash Abby2, A-B-B-E-Y, and the number two, as well as links to all the resources mentioned. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.